be tempted to skip ahead when you come to a passage like 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. If you do, you're not alone. I get it. I understand. Uh, you might be thinking, well, I really hope there are some people in the church who are paying attention to this passage, but I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. I'm probably not going to be an elder, not going to be a deacon. So when I read a passage in the Bible about church leadership, I can probably tune out a little bit, right? Check up on my Instagram feed or catch up on the sports score, you know, something like that. But before you do, I want you to consider for a moment how you may have been greatly helped by church leadership, right? On the other hand, maybe some of you have been hurt by church leadership. Maybe some of you have been both helped and hurt by church leadership. If leadership in a church fails to understand its task or grasp its role, missions suffer. Doctrine shrivels, the church stumbles, maybe not in attendance and, and busyness and programs, but certainly in, in gospel advancement, gospel-centeredness, right, corporate pursuit of holiness. But if leadership at a church leans into their role and, and, and embraces what the Bible has for them, missions expand. Truth prevails, the gospels proclaim, corporate holiness is encouraged, and the church is helped. So surely you'd rather be in a church where the latter is the case rather than the former. So whoever you are, whatever your role in a church, leadership does matter. But here's the rub, and it's important to grasp this because that kind of leadership talk is all ablaze and all a buzzword in American uh, culture. But the Bible has a very different way to think about leadership than the way we tend to think about leadership. We tend to think about leadership in terms of credentials and education and a proven track record and experience and results. And to be clear, that's not bad, right? Nobody thinks that is bad. It's simply that that's not the point of the spear when the Bible talks about effective leadership. In fact, Today's LinkedIn crowd may find the Bible's ideal of leadership kind of boring at best and maybe even quaint and antiquated at worst. Leadership has a very dynamic feel to it that we want seen all over the place, and the church is not immune to me and immune to that. And it's not clear to me that churches themselves understand what they're looking for in their leaders. I know this because I'm part of church leadership, and I've talked to a lot of churches and what they're looking for leadership. Let me read to you some terms that I've seen churches use in trying to find a new pastor. Dynamic communicator, well, you understand that. Visionary leadership, innovative guide, next level leader. Here's my favorite, a daring shepherd. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> it sounds edgy and all, it sounds like a word that, that's edgy but doesn't really communicate much, kind of like, kind of like crash landing, right? Did, did you crash? Or did you land? Because those two are very different concepts. Daring shepherds, innovative leaders, next level leaders, dynamic communicators. One begins to wonder if the church is quietly afraid what kind of candidates might apply if they actually use the characteristics that Paul talks about. Gentle, self-controlled, respectable, right? Faithfully married. Compared to dynamic communicator and next-level leader, it doesn't sound all that exciting. But leadership matters. At least Paul thinks so. So in our time this morning, as we look at these 13 verses, we're going to ask and answer three questions. Number one, who leads the church? Number two, what do they do? And number three, why does this matter? 
First, who leads the church? Now, if you've been a part of a church, you know very well that churches can be very different from one to another. And that's because the Bible offers a lot of latitude in the way congregations order their lives together. And that's a good thing. But the Bible can do that because it also prescribes some very foundational kind of non-negotiables. And the Bible talks about two offices that lead in the church, and both of them are spoken of here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. They are the elder in verses 1 through 7, and then later the deacon in verses 8 through 13. Most of our emphasis is going to be on the elder because the elders take the primary leadership and the deacons are more of a support leadership of that. So let's talk about the elder first. The word elder is pretty common in Scripture and it's used actually several different ways. For example, in the Old Testament, the word elder is often used to describe the leadership that, was, uh, that assisted Moses in taking care of Israel, as we see here in Exodus 4.29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. In the New Testament, the word elder can refer to someone of mature age, as it does in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. You see, the word in red there, older man, is the word we translate elsewhere as elder. The word elder can also refer to the official leadership community within the Jewish community, as we have in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 3. So the word elder has this pretty a, a kind of elasticity to it. It can mean many different things. In the context of 1 Timothy and mostly in the New Testament, it refers to the unique role of leadership that God has raised up to guide His church. In fact, in nearly every church that we are aware of in the New Testament, they have elders. If you're a note taker, write down Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17 all the way to 31, gives a clear picture of this point as Paul calls the elders of the Ephesian church so he, as he wants to talk to them and kind of give them their final marching orders. Now, if you've got a copy of uh, ESV in front of you, maybe you've got one of our pew Bibles, you may be looking down and saying, well, I don't know what you're talking about. My, my Bible even says elder. It says overseer. It says that if a man desires to be an overseer, he desires a good thing. So what are you talking about, elder? Well, that's a good question. That's because the Bible uses three different terms to refer to this one role of elder. It uses the word elder, overseer, and pastor. And these terms are interchangeable. In other words, to refer to one is to refer to the other. The reason we know that is because that's what we see happening all throughout the New Testament. Keep your finger in 1 Timothy and go a few pages to the right in Paul's letter to Titus, and we see the same dynamic taking place. So Titus chapter 1, um, I'm going to read verse 5. This is what Paul writes to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So he's talking about appointing elders in every town as he directed him, but notice what he says in verse 7 referring to the same group of men. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. So we already see in the pastoral epistles that Paul is using the words overseer and elder interchangeably. But also, keep your finger in 1 Timothy and go with me to the book of Acts, right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, into Acts. Acts chapter 20 is the chapter I was talking to you about, where Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and he wants to give final orders to the elders of the Ephesian churches, so he calls them and kind of speaks to them about what they should be doing. In Acts chapter 20, let me read it at verse 28. This is what Paul writes. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So we see the word overseer again. But go with me to verse 17. Just look at a few verses earlier and see what he calls them. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So we see again, overseer and elder being used interchangeably. Lastly, go to the book of Ephesians. You can leave uh, Acts, go to the Ephesians chapter 4. When Paul is talking about how God has uniquely equipped the church, and he talks about certain kind of spiritual uh, gifts, and one of those gifts are gifts of people. Look at verse 11. Ephesians 4, Paul writes, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Pastor translates the word for shepherd that is used in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, except in Ephesians 4, it's rendered as pastor rather than shepherd. So we know that elder, overseer, and pastor are all words that are used interchangeably referring to the same occupation. You might be asking, well, why does Paul do that? that? That seems to be confusing, and certainly that is confusing for you and I, removed 21 centuries from the original writing. But the original audience would have known very well that these were interchangeable, and there were actually different nuances to the single role. So when he's talking about an elder, Paul in the New Testament is referring to who the man is, his character, his maturity. But when Paul or the other writers would refer to the role as an overseer, they were talking about what the man does, that he oversees, he watches over the life of the flock, the life of the church. And when they wanted to emphasize how he does that work, they used the term pastor because a pastor feeds, the pastor shepherds, the pastor nurtures. So they, when they, they wanted to use particular words to bring out different nuances, all referring to the same thing who he is, what he does, and how he does it. Elder, overseer, pastor. One thing we also should note is that almost always in the New Testament, elder is in the plural, that it's elders. In other words, while you might read about one or two of the the elders in a church, there were always a plurality of them leading local churches. So you had many elders for one church. So what we have here is the picture of church leadership, the picture in the New Testament, what we have is neither a a dictator, right, which is one person calling the shots, but nor do you have a democracy where it's kind of a representative vote of everybody. It's not totalitarian, but it's not a total free-for-all. Instead, God raises up elders to lead the church. By way of application, If you are looking for a church, and we're we're blessed to have every week somebody visiting and looking for a church, let me just encourage you, don't simply stop with the music or the preaching that you might hear on a Sunday morning. That is the thing that people see most obviously because that's what they see most obviously. But don't stop with just whether or not you like the music and whether or not you like the preaching. Pull the curtain back a little bit and look behind, look under the hood, so to speak. What is the leadership of that particular church? Is the church run more like a corporation with a powerful, charismatic CEO at the top calling the shots, or is it more like a family where there's a dad just trying to love the wife and kids around the table and do that well? 
Yes, when you visit a church, you want to speak with the senior pastor, the person that generally is preaching the Word of God, but don't stop there. Speak to the other elders because they are entrusted with the responsibility and care of the church as well. Now, if you're a member of this church, get to know your elders. Get to know them. Pray for them. Seek their good as well as you seek their help. Get to know them and get, let them get to know you. It's not hard. It's easy to figure that out. They're usually the guys that are up here doing the pastoral prayer on a Sunday morning. Like right now, they will be teaching in our Disciple Makers class. They teach our membership classes. They may be the ones leading the prayer devotional at our Lord's Supper services. Get to know them so that they can get to know you. So that when they have to exercise care over you, they know who you are. They know what your needs are. They know what you're hoping for. They know what you're afraid of. They know how to open Scripture for you because they know you. Now, what that means is, um, if and I had somebody kind of confess to this after first hour, if you're one of those people that just kind of makes a 90-minute thing out of a Sunday morning, you may have to change the way you think about attending church because we're talking about building relationships, and that takes time. That takes room to breathe, Right? It is not a matter of just simply putting up pictures of elders and you knowing their names. That's not what we want. This isn't an information test. We're building a relationship between a shepherd and his flock. And that takes time. Don't just rush in here, get to the service, and take off. Linger. Come back tonight the Lord's Supper service. That's one of the reasons I love it. Because we, we really don't have, for those of you who've been there, you know we kind of have a structure, but then we kind of don't. It's just there to linger to get to know each other so that we can become a family and not a corporation. Get to know your elders. Get to know the elders if you're visiting a church. The second office we see here in 1 Timothy 3 is that of the deacon in verses 8 through 13. And in many ways, in many ways, they're very similar to that of the elders. You notice that a lot of the characteristics, they're kind of overlapping. They may be framed differently, said differently, but they're very, very similar. Now, a deacon, what the word literally means, deacon literally means to serve. So if the, the elders are servant leaders of God's people, then the deacons are leaders of servants. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But that's what the deacons do. They, they are part of the church to serve the body of Christ. Now, those are the two official offices in the church. Now, let's ask the second question. What is it that they do? What do they do? In one sense, in Paul's list here in 1 Timothy 3, Paul's already been telling us what they do, but because we have a very way of different processing things, it may be easy to miss. But did you notice in this entire 13 verses, it is a description, not of the kind of job description we're used to, but it's just about character. Did you notice that? In essence, everything that happens in verse 2 to verse 13 is just an expansion of the second half of verse 2 when Paul writes, they must be above reproach. Here's the lesson. Leaders are before they do. Let me say that again. Leaders and leadership are, or is, I realize I kind of mess with the grammar here. Leaders are, are before they do do. And when Paul talks about leading in the church, he doesn't talk about, you know, overseeing the sacraments and all these kind of duties we would think of. 
He talks about character, must be above reproach. And then he talks about what that looks like, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, dignity, all these things matter. So if you ask the question, what does it mean to be above reproach, you have your answer. It's right there. Now, let's be real clear. This is not perfection. Paul's qualification to take leadership in the church is not perfection. If that were the standard, then no man would be qualified to lead God's church. Paul's not talking about perfection. He's talking about living above reproach. He's actually talking about striving to be like Christ. Dr. D.A. Carson says something really insightful about this passage when he writes, the most remarkable thing about these characteristics of elders and deacons is that there's nothing remarkable about it at all. I think that's really insightful. The most remarkable thing about this list is that it's unremarkable. Paul is simply calling upon elders and deacons to just act like genuine Christians. The distinguishing feature is that this group of people takes seriously the gospel's command that God is looking to sanctify a people for his own possession, and they understand that it begins with them. That's what makes them elders and deacons. So the first thing that elders do, if we're going to talk about it that way, is that they simply are. In other words, they model the Christian life. If you are a new Christian, if you are wondering what it looks like to be a Christian, you should be able to just pick any elder or any deacon at your church, and there you have your answer. You want to know what it is to be a Christian? Just look at an elder or a deacon. It shouldn't be complex. It should not be hard, which is why the whole concept of building relationships is so important. We could give you a book, but it's much better to share life together. And so Paul is calling upon these leaders of the church to simply be what all of us should be so that there's a model for the people to have. And this is really important because as we learn through our our, uh, study of the book of Samuel, so go the priests, so go the people, right? What the leadership is in microcosm, the church inevitably will be in macrocosm. If you're looking for a church and you want to know what kind of church it's going to be and what kind of church it actually is, you can look on the website, but you'll get a better bead on it if you look at the leadership of the church. If the leadership is rigid, if they're harsh, if they're somewhat cold, guess what kind of church it's probably going to be? Probably the same. On the other hand, if the leadership is warm and generous and passionate, guess what kind of church you're going to find? Exactly so. The church will reflect that as well. But more than model, the elders also lead. As a matter of fact, when we have men in our church thinking about being an elder, we have them a doc- hand them a document with these four, I guess, qualifications or what you're going to have to do as an elder, and that is to model, to lead, to teach, and to pray. In some ways, the way they lead is that they model the Christian life, but they also do lead in making practical decisions for the life of the church. So write down Acts chapter 6, when there was a, 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 an issue, almost a divisive issue that erupted in the church, the elders have to make a decision to care for the widows. Again, we see this in Acts chapter 15, when another uh, controversial decision, decision came up, how do we care for the Gentiles? Now the elders had to gather and make some decisions. And what I want to do right now is briefly show you a slide that we use 
in our membership class to help explain to people how congregations like ours actually function. So if you're planning on going to the membership class, this is a little bit of a sneak preview. So this is a slide we use every, every time we teach it, and you see on the left-hand side, there's an arrow that says increasing clarity from the bottom to the top, and then another arrow going from left to right, increasing seriousness. So let's start with the bottom left-hand corner. On issues that are ne neither serious nor clear, a lot of things can fall into that, like um, how should we distribute the elements at the Lord's Supper? Should we have the congregation come up and receive them from us, or should we have them stay seated and we distribute them not to them? Well, th this is neither serious nor clear in that the gospel message itself is not being compromised in what we're doing, whatever decision we make. So that's what we mean by not serious. And it's not clear because Scripture really gives us freedom. We can kind of do either one. And as a matter of fact, in the life of our church, we have done both of those. And those are the areas that the staff answers most of those questions because they come down to logistics and making things work. They're very practical. As we go up on the left-hand side, there are issues that are clear, but they're not serious. So things like that might be, um, should we repaint the outside of the church from Santa Fe pink to brown or tannish? And some of you in this church know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and to me, that's a real clear decision in my mind, very clear. But it's not serious, is it? The gospel can go out whether your building is pink or brown. It doesn't matter. And so those are the kinds of things that committees get together. They see the issues clearly. They can make the decision for us. Now, to the right of that, things that are both serious and clear is something that, as a matter of fact, if you're a member of this church, we just experienced this at our last business meeting where the congregation gets together and, hey, we're going to change our statement of faith. We're going to vote on that. We're going to vote on changing one word that we think then broadens the, who can be a part. If they're a Christian, who can be part of this church? And by changing that one word, all genuine Christians can be a fellowship member of this church. And the congregation talked about it. As a matter of fact, the denomination talked about it. Nearly 10 years we talked about it, but it was a serious matter. And we came as a congregation and said, this is serious because it talks about a critical doctrine that we believe, and it's clear that this is the right thing to do. And the membership voted on it beautifully, and we approved it and moved forward. By the way, we saw this happen in the Bible too, didn't we? Remember our study of Galatians? In Galatians 1, who did Paul just rake over the coals? Did he rebuke the elders and deacons, or did he rebuke the whole church? Galatians chapter 1, you foolish elders. No, what did he write? You foolish Galatians, what were you thinking? You embraced another gospel that is not the gospel. So this is where the congregation plays a huge... By the way, if the leadership of the church goes off the rails and we start saying stuff like, you know, we don't really think Jesus is God so we can, go get, we can move away from that, that's where the membership has to rise up and say, what are you talking about, right? This is serious and it's clear. But the last and final quadrant down here, issues that are serious, matters of church discipline. Um, what do we do with excess finances that we have? What, what missions emphasis are we going to adopt? Those things are really serious. They matter to the gospel. But they're not that clear. Certainly not that clear necessarily in, in issues of Scripture, obviously in church discipline that changes, but in, in how much everyone's going to know about that. And this is where a congregation flourishes or flounders based on its leadership. This is where elders serve you well or do a disservice to you. Right at this point, in dealing with things that are very serious, 
but they're just not clear to everyone else. And this is how elders lead, among other ways, that's how elders lead the church. So elders model the Christian life to be an example of what it means to be a Christian. The elders lead in the church, and here are some ways that they lead. But most importantly, however, tied into this is that elders teach. Elders teach. As a matter of fact, I know I said this about modeling, but this is how elders lead. They lead by teaching. Did you notice in 1 Timothy 3, that's the only ability that Paul says an elder needs to have? Look at verse 2, at the end of verse 2, that they are able to teach. Friends, more than anything else, more than anything else, an elder is a teacher of the Word of God. The reason that is, is because it is the Word of God that creates the people of God. An elder, more than anything, is a man who teaches the Word of God because it's the Word of God that creates the people of God. And we see this all throughout the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, when God, wanted, when God created His people, when God created humanity, He spoke the Word and bam, we were made. In Exodus chapter 20, when God brought this rabble group of people and He wanted them to become His people, He brought them to Mount Sinai, He gave them His Word and bam, they became His people. In Ezekiel chapter 37, God speaks to the prophet Ezekiel, says, speak to this valley of dry bones. Give my word. And Ezekiel begins to give the word of the Lord to them. And the skeletons reanimate and come to life. God was showing that the word of God is what creates life and creates his people. Bam, they were made. John chapter 1, Jesus is called the word of God. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I come to give life. God's word creates God's people this is why an elder's job above all else is to teach the Word of God. Friends, this is why the sermon takes the central place of our Sunday morning gatherings. It's not because, as much as I like to think, you think I have a striking personality and you want to listen to me for 45 minutes, that's not it. It's because whenever the people of God gather, the Word of God needs to be central to it because it demands to be read, to be prayed, to be proclaimed and studied because it gives us life and does us good. And so an elder's job above all else is to be a teacher of the Word of God. Lastly, what do they do? They pray. Elders pray because we know that it is a spiritual work that is taking place. Leading a church is not just about efficiency, planning, and logistics. It's about the allegiances of one's heart, the spiritual warfare we are involved in, and a dependency upon God to build His church. And so for that to happen, we need to be praying constantly, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, all the time. And you do need to, we tell you this, but you were prayed for this morning, as you're prayed for every morning. Or at least, at least every Sunday morning, the elders will gather and pray for you. On our Monday nights, we pray for you as well, because that is what elders do. All right, what about deacons? What about deacons? Now, we see in the broader New Testament that deacons are often concerned with meeting the physical needs of the church, while the elders tend to focus on the spiritual needs of the church. Now, that's not always the case, but that is a nice way to think of how those two function, Right? that the, the deacons take care of the physical needs, the elders take care of the spiritual needs, both equally important, both requiring focus. In many ways, deacons make sure elders can focus on the study of God's Word. 
And in a real practical sense, deacons are not just simply servants. They act as shock absorbers. Like when there's difficulty happening in a church, deacons are the guys and girls who smooth it out and make things happen. Yes, you heard me mention girls. We'll talk about that in a little bit, women. Um, Go to Acts chapter 6. I want you to see this for yourself. Acts chapter 6. This is the chapter that, that probably the diaconate was started. What's happening now is the church is growing, it's flourishing, and um, because of that, there's more of them that need to be take cared for. And here's the tension, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, or the Greeks, or the Gentiles, arose against the Hebrews, the Jews, because their widows, the Greek, the Gentile widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will appoint them to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, they weren't saying this because as elders, they were too good to do this work. They just recognized the importance of what God's word served for the people of God in the community. And in order not to be distracted from that, they needed godly people to fill in the void. And the rest of the congregation said, this is a great idea, let's do it. What's interesting is that the seven men that they raise up here all later go on to be key reasons the gospel spreads throughout the Mediterranean. It's it's pretty fascinating. But what I want you to look at is look at the result of this in verse 7. Because of this decision, verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So the deacons served the church in two principal ways. They met the physical needs of the growing community, and they freed up the elders to focus on their work. And in doing both of these, they maintained the unity of the body of Christ as it was growing. Now, there are two major differences between elders and deacons. Number one, Elders are required to teach God's Word. We talked about that. Deacons are not required to teach the Word of God. Elders are required to be men. We talked about that two weeks ago. Um, Deacons are not required to be men. In other words, you can have women serving in this high and privileged position within the church. Now, I recognize back in 1 Timothy, that may be a bit shocking because when you read it, it says in verse 11, their wives talking about the deacons. And, and here's where I want to be very careful. Um, generally speaking, I, I, we love the English Standard Version, but I think this, they, they rendered this part a little bit unfortunately. Um, for those of you who might have a New International Version, the, the 2011 or a New American Standard Bible, the 1995 edition, they translate it wonderfully. They translate it as women, and here's why. In the original language in the Greek, gunakos, which is the word here, just means women and can mean wives, depending upon context. So the fact that they chose wives was a decision of interpretation, not necessarily in the text. And because they had this interpretive framework, in order to make it sound right in English grammar, they had to throw in the prone, the plural pronoun there. It actually doesn't exist in Greek. They had to smooth that out because languages, for those of you who are you know, bilingual, you know languages are not one-to-one correspondence. So to make it make sense in English, we had to add the plural pronoun. But in the original text, it's gunekas, a plural for women, and they had to throw in theirs because they thought that they was referring to the wives of the deacons. 
when in reactive matter, it can be referring to deaconesses. Another reason I hold to that view is that in our very passage, why when elders and their homes are very much important to look at as kind of an incubation to whether or not they can serve in the church, why aren't their wives talked about, but deacons whose homes aren't looked at as with much scrutiny, their wives are talked about? It doesn't make sense, right? And then finally, in Romans chapter 16, Phoebe's talked about as a deaconess, and in as early as 100 AD, we have letters being floated around about female deaconesses serving in the church. And so we just believe that this office is open to men and women as well. So who leads the church? The elders. The deacons are a part of that. What do they do? They model, they teach, they lead, they pray, and they serve. Now, finally, let's ask the last, answer the last question, why does this matter? Friends, if the church were a company, this company would be a, probably the largest multinational, multi-ethnic company on the planet, stretching back 2,000 years with billions of dollars in assets if the church were a corporation. In a company like that, do you think the HR department would vet its leaders pretty well? Do you think they'd go through some rigorous interview process? In a company like that, do you think the stakeholders would be very interested on who was leading this organization? Yeah, of course. That's, that's obvious. But the church is not a corporation, is it? Church is so, so much more. The Bible says we are the bride of Christ. The Bible says we are the body of Christ. The Bible says that the church is God's dwelling place on earth. The Bible says that the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. And that's, that's a whole, I'm, I'm really exercising self-control because that's a sermon right there. Notice the relationships embedded in all those metaphors. Notice the roles embedded in all those metaphors. The intimate relationship we have with our creator being called his bride, Right? The, the, the intimate connection we share with one another being called His body. The role we have to stand up for truth in a world of lies and falsehood. The role we have in being able to facilitate the dwelling place of God on earth is the church. Friends, far after you and I are gone, the church will be here. Far after this political season is gone, the church will be here. Far after our sports dynasties are gone, the church will be here. After the coronavirus and climate change are gone, the church will still be here. After Amazon, Amazon and Instagram are gone, the church is still going to be here. After Hollywood, Silicon Valley, and Wall Street, and every cultural institute and icon is gone, the church will still be here. After the United States is gone, the, the church will still be here. This is because Jesus promised that he will build his church. And the amazing reality, friends, is you and I get to play a role in that. Let me ask you a question to conclude. Whatever you're giving your time, energy, and resources to, can it boast the kind of longevity global impact and eternal significance of the church. I want to be clear, it's not that God cannot use other, uh, other ministries, other organizations or institutions, it's just that he hasn't promised to. 
right? It doesn't, you don't have to be Warren Buffett or Dave Ramsey to know where the smart money is on that question. If you're a part of the church, if you're a part of the church, if you're a Christian, you're a part of the church, some of you will serve to get that gospel message and get that gospel ball down the field as elders and deacons. But all of us must do that as Christians. We see from 1 Timothy 3 that leadership matters in the church because the church matters to the world. But most importantly, friends, is because the church matters to God. And that's why leadership matters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as it gives us such freedom while at the same time giving us such solid direction. Lord, thank you that for many years this church has enjoyed wonderful, godly leadership. Lord, we know that's not always the case. And so, Lord, we don't want to assume that for the next several years and decades we will have godly leadership. So we pray and ask, would you be so kind as to continue to give that gift to us? Father, may we be a people who take our task and role seriously, whether as a church leader or as a church member, knowing that we are a part of something that transcends every concept, every institution, every uh, current event that we know of. Lord, how wonderful to be a part of something that will have such eternal, long-standing significance. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.